who are joining us uh, online right now, a warm welcome to you. Um, sorry I didn't formally welcome you here at the beginning of that dedication time for Scott and Matt and Jordan, but uh, we welcome you this morning also. We have a, a great, great staff team. Uh, Pastor Brian did an excellent job last Sunday talking about the priority of humble leadership. Did you know there's such a thing as humble leadership? It's not an oxymoron. There is such a thing. And Brian did a great, great job talking about it last week, that humility and leadership must go together. And particularly in the church, they're absolutely critical. That one cannot be a leader in the church while also being prideful. Indeed, in the church, the expectation is leaders would lead the way through humility. God commands humility, and at the same time, God invites us to strength. He commands humility, and he invites us to strength. And people don't see how those go together, but the theme here, though, this morning that I want to reinforce as we jump right into 1 Peter chapter 5 on the tail end of what Brian said last week is that all of us are invited to this beautiful combination of characteristics that we would be humble yet firm at the same time that God would invite us to being firm, to being confident, to being sure of the Lord, to standing firm in his word and his promises and then at the same time, to be humble in who we are. We're strong in Christ, we're humble in ourselves. And these two come together in a rich way in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 5. Hopefully you're there with me right now. If you're not there yet, you can find it toward the back of your Bible, just before Revelation and the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And uh, we're finishing up 1 Peter, this wonderful book in the pressure cooker both today and next week will be our final messages in first peter and today we're just going to look at four or five verses starting with verse five it says this all of you first he's speaking to leaders and he's given leaders instruction on the way they are to lead in submission to god not out of compulsion ever always in humility lovingly leaders are to lead Talk about elders who are just on stage with us. That's the description there in the first several verses of 1 Peter 5. Description for elders and how they're to lead. Never in compulsion, never grudgingly, always humbly, lovingly. Servant-oriented leadership amongst pastors and elders. But then the rest of us are not off the hook. It goes on to say, well, verse 5, all of you. And all of you means all of you. All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, he gives favor to the humble. Father, we would ask that you would lead us this morning. Please lead us this morning, God. This is a critical word from your scriptures. It's found again and again in the Bible. This basic message is found in the Psalms. It's found in Isaiah. It's found in James it's found over and over again, the lips of Jesus. It's found here in Peter. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so, Father, would you do your work in us? Every one of us has room to grow in this area. And so we would invite you, God, even this morning, to do your work in us, do your work in me. 
I need your work in me this morning. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, clothe yourself with humility, it says. The image, though, that's given here, when it says clothe yourself with humility, would have immediately been understood of the agrarian context of that day. Peter's writing to a number of people who would have been farmers and ranchers, who would have been herdsmen, and they would have just one tunic that they would wear each and every day. And the word for clothe yourself is the same word that would be used for these herdsmen when they would speak to their apprentices, they would speak to their disciples about putting the apron over their tunics so that their one tunic would not be soiled by their work with the cows or with the sheep or with the goats. That they would clothe themselves every day with an additional outer garment so they wouldn't get filthy. This same word is used here to the church. As Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility every day. He's saying as you're getting ready for work, go into your closet and pick out some humility and put that on too. You may have to go way into the back of your closet to find it, but it's in there. Pick out some humility and put that on. As you're getting yourself ready for school, Go into your drawers, and it may be hidden back there. You won't see much of this from your fellow classmates. So go into the back of your drawers and find humility in there and put that on each and every day. Clothe yourself with humility. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions out there on what humility is and what humility isn't. What meekness is and what meekness is not. Meekness is a synonym for humility. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Most of us don't really like meekness. I don't really want to be meek. But these are actually good things the Bible would say. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It's bridled strength. Humility is not about looking down at yourself more. It's about looking up to God more. Humility is not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking more of others. It's not about droopy head, woe is me. It's about head held high, God is strong for me. You see the difference? Head held high, God is strong for me, not droopy head, woe is me. I love the way St. Augustine put it. Augustine probably was the most influential church father, and he operated out of North Africa. He was an African man. He had a huge influence on the growth of the church in the late 3rd and early 4th century. Great, great theologian par excellence. And he said this, humility is knowing who God is and knowing who you are in light of God's mercy. Okay, it's not looking down at yourself. It's saying, God is so great. God is so awesome. God is so holy. God is so powerful, God is so loving, God is so other than me. And I look at myself in light of his greatness. Perhaps John the Baptist said it best when he looked at Jesus and he said, Woo! There's a man whose sandals I am not fit to tie. He must increase, I must, I must decrease because I see who I am. In light of him, in light of his great mercy, in light of his great power, in light of his holiness, I see who I am. May he be seen as greater. 
It's understanding that God is the creator. It's understanding that God is the giver of every gift that we have. It's understanding that God is the redeemer, that he sent his son Jesus to be our redemption. It's understanding that God is the giver of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and gives us power for day-to-day life and ministry. It's understanding that ultimately I did not earn the gifts that I have. They came ultimately from God. And so humble me, O God. Humility, as I thought about it again though this past week, and I've thought about this so many times in the past, humility is the characteristic that I see as the common denominator in the men and women that I have respected most across my life. This quiet confidence that knows who God is and who I am in light of who he is. Now, humility is not looked on with favor today in our culture. In contrast, pride is. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a day, at least in the time that I've been in ministry, the past 17, 18 years, where pride is looked at as more neutral or even positive in the areas of celebrity and sport and politics and on and on. People excuse pride today. They just kind of wink at pride today. We're proud of our intelligence. We're proud of our job titles. We're proud of our work We're proud of our nation, we're proud of our land, we're proud of our kids, we're proud of our cars, we're proud of our family heritage. Pride is rewarded today. And yet repeatedly, allow it to settle in. The scriptures say again and again and again. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Over and over again. Why? C.S. Lewis, I think, said it best in Mere Christianity, his great magnum opus. He said this, pride is the essential vice. It's kind of the starting place for all sins. It begins with pride. It begins with I'm going to do it my way. It's the essential vice, the complete anti-God state of mind. It's the pleasure of being above the rest, always looking down on people. A proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something above you. You hear that? As long as we're looking down on things and people, we cannot see the one who is above us. So God humble us. Now, not all pride is bad. I I wish we had a different word for the affection, the amazement, the gratitude, the pride that we have in our kids, I don't think that kind of pride is bad. When you have a sense of pleasure, of pride in your kids' good accomplishments, in your students' good character, in your athletes' growth within your sports team, whatever it might be, I don't think the scripture is referring to that as this kind of pride which I am referring to today. Not all pride, not that kind of pride is bad. Our English language has limitations. I, I, I think that probably more what is said there is this, this experience of, of pleasure at your kids, this experience of, of gratitude that we have with our kids. I, I'm even careful about using the word, I'm proud of my kids. Now, I do sometimes, but I, I'm, I'm careful about it because I don't want them to see pride as neutral. It's not neutral. And I, I know from experience it's a short step from me being proud of my kids 
to me being proud of how my kids reflect on me. Ooh, ooh. Is anybody with me? Okay, right? Like, that's a short step. And the one being pleased with your kids is just fine. It's wonderful. We should be. But to be proud of how my kids reflect on me, it's a short step to that, and that is pride. And we do not want to minimize the corrosive toxicity of pride on the human soul. From Genesis 2 to Revelation 22, the Bible says simply, God honors humility and God opposes pride. Indeed, from the attitude that I will do it my way, it's from that attitude that comes every other vice. And so Peter goes on after verse 5 in which he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. He goes on to say, humble yourselves therefore. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's almighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Peter uses such beautiful, vivid imagery across his letter, 1 Peter. And this imagery of God's mighty hand is well-founded throughout the scriptures. When you think of God's mighty hand, perhaps you would think about God delivering Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, and it says over and over again in the book of Exodus, it was the mighty hand of God that intervened and grabbed Israel out of Egypt. It was the mighty hand of God that overwhelmed the hand of Pharaoh. Perhaps you'd remember the other book of Acts, in which it says again and again, it was the mighty hand of God that was on the apostles, enabled them to teach and preach the good news of Jesus' resurrection. It was the mighty hand of God that was upon the apostles that enabled them to do miracles and healings of different kind. It was the mighty hand of God that was on the early church, enabling them to live out generosity like we just saw in that beautiful video from Liz. The generosity of the church, the mighty hand of God on the church, enabling us to be generous when we wouldn't choose to be generous. It was the mighty hand of God that was spoken of on John the Baptist when he said, he must increase. I must become less. I must decrease. And it's the mighty hand of God on you and me in the midst of our suffering, in the pressure cooker of 2020, that enables us to get through our suffering, that enables us to develop the character of perseverance and the character of hope through our suffering. And as we experience the mighty hand of God, We humble ourselves underneath his mighty hand. We cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And we recognize in due time he will lift us up. And friends, though none of us would have chosen what's happened in this pressure cooker of 2020 that isn't going away anytime soon. I tell you what. If it serves to make us more humble. If it's suffering that makes me more humble. If it's suffering that would bring about perseverance and a recognition of my grave limitations, my great need for God, the ways that I have human idolatry in the heart toward my comforts and my sense of independence and my personal liberties that I want right now, if those things would be humbled in 2020, then praise God. Sometimes it's the pressure cooker of suffering 
that God would use to bring us to our knees that would actually humble us under his mighty hand that we might be more useful servants for his purposes. Jesus said the same so many times. He said those who exalt themselves will be humbled, right? What do you say? Let's, Let's read this one out loud. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Good. Let's read the next one out loud, both here in the auditorium and in the venue. It says, so the first shall be last, and the last shall be, yeah, yeah. This is the way of God's economy. This is the way of the kingdom of God. These statements, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, humble yourself under God's almighty hand that he would care for you. Um, seek to exalt yourself and you'll be humbled. Humble yourself and be exalted. These aren't like catchy slogans from King Jesus' bumper sticker company. They ain't that, okay? I, I mean, they are catchy. Jesus was very, very pithy, extraordinary teacher. But, but these aren't for your bumper stickers. These are for life. These are for life. These are for godliness. This is the way things are done in God econ- God's economy. And so I have to just look at these passages and say, God, would you please humble me under your mighty hand that I would not seek to be first, but I would even be last as I serve others. we got to make the choice. we got to choose to daily humble ourselves under God's almighty hand and trust that in the end we will reign with him. That's part of the promise, that we humble ourselves under his hand and in the end, he will lift us up with him. What Peter's referring to there is when Christ returns in glory, he's going to gather his church to him, and we're going to reign together with Jesus and be victorious with him. That's the promise. But until then, suffering will be our experience. So we humble ourselves under his mighty hand that he would care for us in that time. So how do we do this? What I want to do here for the remainder of my time is I see I don't have much left. How do we want to do this is... Uh, Four different ways I'd like to suggest that we would all grow in humility. And these are for me every bit as much as they are for you, okay? This message has ministered to my spirit big time over this past week. I'm not preaching to you. Maybe today I'm just preaching to myself. Here's the number one. You pray for humility. You pray every day, God, make me humble. What if we picked up our Bible in the morning when we have our morning devotional time of 15 to 30 minutes, however you do it, you're going through your Bible reading plan, which we have out at the information table, not reading through the whole Bible, a couple chapters a day. You take that out and you're reading through it. And before you read through it, you say, God, I submit myself to the authority of your word. Whatever you say, that I will do. You begin with that prayer. That's a humbling prayer. It's about you, God, I submit to the authority of your word. Or God, is there somebody that you would like me to serve today? I submit myself to your authority. God, is there somebody that I need to listen to today that I would seek to understand before being understood? I submit to your authority today. These are the kinds of prayers that would grow us in humility. Father, please help me to listen. Please help me to serve. Please help me to give of myself, not just to my people today, but to your people today, as I know every single person that I meet today is someone made in your image today. So, Father, I, I humbly submit myself to you. We begin by humbly asking God to give us more humility. And then second, from there, you seek to imitate someone that you know who's a little further along in the faith than you. You imitate the humble. Do you know that we all need examples? 
We all really need examples and to look up to someone else. I look up to some people in this room who are further along in the faith than I am. And I look up to them and I admire them and I emulate their lifestyle because their character is deeper than mine at this point. Their relationship with God is more rich than mine at this point, so I learn from them as I follow them. I had a gentleman who came to me a number of years ago, and he came in sorrow saying, Adrian, well, would you be a mentor for me? And I'm like, I don't even know you, man. I, I don't know how I can be your mentor. I said, go to your church and go get a mentor. And he, sa he said, one of the saddest things that I've ever heard in ministry, he said, I don't know any pastors at my church who are humble. He said, they're all know-it-alls. They just have all the answers. And they're really not good with questions. And I don't feel comfortable going to them, Adrian. Would you mentor me? And this is a young man who wanted to become a pastor. So I said, yes, I have a long way to go here. But yes, you think about our church, what we just did here. Scott Stober, co-led, one of the lean architecture firms in all of Nebraska. At the end of his career, he decides to go to seminary. And right now, he just serves and serves and gives and gives behind the scenes. Nobody knows what he does, how much he helps our entire staff. Humility. You think of Jordan Heinrichsen. I mean, Jordan had grown as a teacher and preacher. Holy moly, Right? incredibly as a teacher and preacher. He's a very, very gifted teacher and preacher here at Carnegie Free. We're so blessed to, to have him. And you watch him with students, middle school students and high school students on Wednesday night. He connects with artists and athletes. He connects with the churched and the unchurched and those who are just asking questions. And Jordan never hogs any glory for himself. He always gives it to God. He is the most gifted youth pastor I have ever seen. You think about Matt Demeret. You notice here on Sunday mornings, sometimes you're not really sure who's leading worship and music on Sunday mornings. Have you noticed that? It's because Matt is the antithesis of a prima donna worship leader. Like he's super gifted musically, but he doesn't need to be the one who's always up front in charge every week. He's happy to empower other people to lead. And on any given Sunday, you'll have any number of different leaders up here all the while, Matt in the background supporting them because he's humble. He's humble. These are the kinds of men that I want my sons to look up to. Those who have a quiet strength and humility about them. And I see so many women and men here in this church who just, even here though this morning as I look out, people who are dripping with wisdom and dripping with humility and serve as such a wonderful tonic to the pride of our culture today and we really need people to look up to who are a little further along in the faith. So God be praised for what he's brought here to this church. We pray for humility. We look for the humble that are a little further along that we might emulate them. And then we drop our anxieties on dad. We learn more and more to drop our anxieties on dad. A good dad is a protective dad, right? Right? Okay, I need some feedback here today. You guys are quiet. A good dad's a protective dad, right? Yeah, a good dad is a protective dad. And you have a really protective, protective dad in heaven. A tremendously protective dad for you. 
You have a good dad and you go to him because you recognize that he's stronger than you are at this point in your life. You go to a good father and you say, I'm gonna go to him because he's been through some storms that I haven't yet been through in my life. And so when those storms come, I know I can go to him and seek his counsel. And I'm gonna drop my anxieties, drop my worries on dad at times because I know he's faithful. Did you know that Jesus invites us to call our father in heaven, dad? Like, I recognize in this room and in the venue and online, there are probably some who aren't comfortable with that level of intimacy with God. But Jesus uses the word to address his father and invites us to use the same word to address our father that is called Abba. And Abba in the Hebrew, which was Jesus' first language, Jesus was trilingual, he wasn't American, he was trilingual, okay? His first language is Hebrew, and the word Abba in Hebrew means daddy, Friends, you may not like this level of intimacy, but God likes this level of intimacy. He invites you to call him, Daddy, here are my needs. Daddy, here are my anxieties. Daddy, here are my frustrations. Daddy, I'm worried about COVID-19. Daddy, I give it to you today. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Daddy, I'm worried today about the election. I give you my worries about the election. Daddy, I'm worried today about racial tensions in America. I give those to you and I ask that if you use me as an instrument of peace, please do so. Daddy, I'm worried today about the prospect of being a homeschool parent again, may it not be. I give it over to you, Daddy. Whatever it may be, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about, okay? I had some prayers, I had some worries though this morning that I had surrendered to my daddy and know that he was big enough to handle them because he's a loving, he's a strong, he's a protective father that's good to us. He's a good, good, loving father. My boy used to help me. He still does help me with home repair projects, but when he was a toddler, he really enjoyed helping me. And uh, so I'd ask him to get me the wrench or the hammer and he'd bring it over and two or three years old, and he'd say, heavy, heavy. And I'd say, drop it right here, Elijah. Drop it right here, buddy. And he'd drop it to me. And the heaviness was gone. Now, you, you all hold anxieties that are a lot heavier than that little wrench. So you might need to drop your anxieties on your good, loving dad ten times a day. And there's nothing wrong with that. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Do nothing out of anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the Peace of God which passes understanding will be yours in Christ Jesus. This beautiful exchange. We give God our anxieties. He gives us his peace in response. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. The proud say, I don't need God's help. The proud say, God's help is a crutch for weak people. Humble people say, we all need God's help. Every one of us is in process Indeed, if anyone thinks they don't need God's help, they really need God's help. 
Humble people have no difficulty admitting, I cannot do it all on my own. I need God's help. And so we pray for humility. We imitate the humble. We drop our anxieties on our good, loving Father. And then we stand firm in the strength of our God, not in our own strength. We stand firm in our Father, in God's strength, not our own. Look at these final two verses in this passage. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. And then he says how to do it. Resist him standing firm. This is the how. You resist him by standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings that you also are going through. You see, God is for you. And God wants you. God wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. He wants your strength. He wants you to stand firm in him. But did you know that there's someone else in this world who also wants you? There is an enemy to our souls who also wants you. In this passage, he's called a roaring lion. He's called the devil. And the devil here means adversary. So just get this into your mind here. There is a spiritual enemy to your soul who serves as an adversary. He's like a prosecution that levels these lies against you, levels slanders against you, that tries to cultivate excessive doubt and excessive worry in us and to make us constantly fearful. There's this enemy who seeks to do those things against us. He is opposed to us, and what we do in response is stand firm in the faith. We stand up strong, knowing that if God is for me, no one can be against me. We stand up firm, knowing that greater is the one who lives in me than the one who lives in the world. We stand firm, knowing that Jesus Christ took my sin And no condemnation leveled against me by the hand of Satan will ever stand. If Jesus has forgiven me, then what can Satan do to me? We stand in that. We stand in the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He secured our victory. So our victory is secure for eternity, even though we will be tempted by the enemy today. And as we are tempted, we resist with the power of the word, with the strength of prayer, by calling brothers and sisters up near to us, by standing firm in the faith. And if you do not stand firm in the faith, you will fall. But if you stand firm in the faith, knowing greater is the one who lives in me than the one who lives in the world, then Satan has no chance against you. This is who we are. We're humble and we're firm. Humble yet firm in the power of Christ. So we ask God to help us grow in this as we pray every day, maybe this week would be your assignment. Pray every day. Start off each morning with a prayer asking God to grow you in humility. Perhaps this week you think of someone that you would emulate who's a little further along in the faith who you can look up to in terms of their humility And you start to think the way they think. You start to model yourself after them. You start to ask them questions about how they stay humble. You drop your anxieties on your good, loving Father. And then you stand firm, not in your own strength. Our own strength is not enough. 
we stand firm in the strength of God who is for us, never against us. We have a defender named Jesus Christ who shields us from the adversary of our faith and his defense is the one that wins the day. Humbly, we stand firm in Christ and God's favor be poured all over you this week. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this incredible promise that we humble ourselves under your mighty hand and your favor is on us. This is what I want. I want your favor, God. I want your favor on my ministry. I want your favor on this church. I want your favor on my family. I want your favor on every person in this room. And Father, the only way we get your favor, this passage tells us, is that we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And so to the extent that we've been proud in self, please convict us. Please cut us. And then please heal us. We admit even now ways that we've missed the mark. Ways that we've been proud of ourselves. And we trust ourselves to you again this morning. You are the good and glorious God. All glory is yours, Lord. Your name is Yahweh. Your name is Yahweh. You will not give your glory to another. Please prevent us from ever stealing your glory. We surrender ourselves to you and we say today, in our thinking, in our speaking, in our acting this week, we desire you to get all the credit. May it be in Jesus' name.